Chapter 5 of The Gentle Persuasion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Gentle Persuasion Sketches of Scottish Life by Alan Gray. Crossing the Rubicon. I have always looked upon the River Tweed as my Rubicon while life in the dear old homeland had for me much that was sweet and attractive it had yet been a cribbed cabined confined life my idea of men and things had of necessity been mainly drawn from within the narrow limits of an old world rural district in matters of faith and practice my mind had come to be in a state of great unrest bordering on revolt life on the southern side of the tweed was broader and more generous the society into which i was cast had in it elements which would have been born only of a more comprehensive outlook and a greater interchange of thought religion rested on a more catholic basis i have already told how for some time i had been looking toward the rubicon i crossed it when i crossed the tweed not all at once, however. I had been many months in England before I could have said that my emancipation was complete. Shall I ever forget my first day in my new home? I had arrived in Tynecaster at an early hour on Sunday morning, and being very tired after my long journey, I went to bed at once. When I awoke, the sun was high in the heavens, and my ears were filled with the most delightful music I had ever heard. I rose, went to my window, and drew up the blind. My room overlooked a goodly-sized park enclosed by high stone walls. A regiment of soldiers were on parade, and their band was playing a stirring march. I could not understand it. Did I not arrive on Sunday morning? I could not possibly have slept for a whole day. And yet there was a band playing a march. I dressed hastily and made my way to the common room one solitary man sat reading i bade him good morning told him who i was i had seen none of the stuff on my arrival and then with some shamefacedness i said excuse me troubling you but will you please tell me what day of the week this is my companion looked up in astonishment he imagined i think that i was a little off in the upper story and answered why it's sunday old man what makes you dubious well i heard a band playing a march that was all oh yes the noodles the yeomanry that is are up for their annual training and i suppose you heard the band playing them to church you'll get accustomed to these things by and by i said nothing but thought a good deal what would the deuce folks in bonnie glenconan think if they knew i had gone to a land where such doings were permitted why the ministers would denounce it from every pulpit in the district when i went into resident at tynecaster grammar school i was but a mere stripling hardly out of my teens my knowledge of classics and english was not extensive but it was thorough thanks to mr lindsay and was quite sufficient to warrant me essaying to prepare a class of boys for the local examinations held annually by the universities at first i felt somewhat diffident about giving instruction in the history and contents of the book of common prayer 
a necessary subject in the locals, but ere very long my diffidence had vanished. I made good use in the evenings of the opportunities for study afforded by the church institute library and reading room, and I attended the lectures on church history given in that institution. You can readily understand what a boon such a place was to me. Tynecaster was near enough to Scotland to prevent my feeling in an alien land as I had expected. The broad Northumbrian dialect bore a strong resemblance to my own northern tongue, and the ways of the people were in many respects more Scotch than English. I had to run the gauntlet of the traditional practical jokes that were wont to be perpetrated on teachers who hailed from the land of cakes. However, as Mr. Lindsay had prepared me for this, I passed through the ordeal and was voted not a bad sort of fellow for a Scotty. There were lots of Scotch folks in Tynecaster, but very few of these were churchmen, and so I did not get much from them in the way of sympathy. Scotsmen and English are said to be very clannish and to stand by one another in fair day and foul. My experience did not bear this out. When I was first introduced as a brother Scot, I got the hearty hand clasp of fellowship. But when they came to know that I had leanings towards the English Kirk, they seemed all to have become very suddenly short-sighted, for in most cases they failed to recognize me when I met them in the street. There was, however, one notable exception, an old man from Perthshire, tame late law by name, who kept his second-hand bookstall in the market. Many a happy half-holiday didn't I spend with him among his literary treasures. Brought up among the descendants of Jacobite non-jurors, he was a staunch, devoted churchman. I told him one day of the strange attitude taken towards me by these brother Scots, and was much amused by his porky reply. Man, Alan, I'm astonished at ye. Do ye no ken who the average Scot regards the religious opinions over his neighbour? Orthodoxy's my doxy, and heterodoxy's your doxy. He's nigh conceited or no, he only thinks that his neighbour's views are reached when they agree with his ain. We had no school chapel, and so most of the boarders attended the neighbouring church of St. Jude, under the charge of one of the masters. When it was my turn to perform this duty, I was at first delighted with the well-rendered musical service. But when that ceased to have the charm of novelty, I began to long for something to help me in my spiritual life, which I did not get there either in the services or the sermons. The last named were, as a rule, nice little theological essays, couched in beautiful English and delivered in the well-modulated tones characteristic of the typical young English cleric. I often wish these highly respectable, well-bred people in the pews around me could have listened to one of the rugged bursts of whole-souled, impassioned eloquence to which the Glenconan folks were accustomed, Sunday after Sunday, from their saintly and devoted, if somewhat narrow-minded, pastor in the old Lichtkirk. Do not imagine that I was captious or overcritical or discontented. I was simply in that delicate condition when one needs all the spiritual nourishment that can be given, and I was only offered husks. Somehow or other, I could not help feeling that a crisis was imminent, and yet I could not have diagnosed the symptoms. Everything around me was commonplace enough. Still, crises often spring from the commonplace. 
One fine Saturday afternoon in autumn, I was searching for fossils in a disused quarry, and I was so absorbed in my work that I was not aware of anyone being near me, till I heard a familiar voice addressing me. Well, Mr. Gray, what do you think you're doing? I turned and saw Tom Laidlaw's honest, porky face looking down upon me from the bank overhead. Why, Tom, I said, I was just trying my hand at practical geology. But I've had enough for one day. Let's have a rest and a chat. A few minutes and we were seated together on a nice mossy knoll. Is it not wonderful, Tom, how one can read the past history of life on the earth from the layers of dead matter buried beneath the surface? Aye, it's need dood very wonderful, but man, there are even more wonderful testimonies of the past life of the church that have come down to us in things that some folk would call spiritual fossils. There's the three creeds that tell us of the apostolic doctrine, the sacraments that include the breaking of bread and presuppose fellowship, and there the devotions of the church enshrined in the grand old liturgies. And in these latter days, the world's been turned upside down over and over again since the first Christian days. But the teachings of the apostolic ministry, the sacraments and sacramental ordinances and the set form of words are just as much in evidence today as they were 1900 years ago. Men he tried to make new spiritual formations of the rain, but they are near like the God-made formations of the one holy Catholic apostolic church than a plaster of Paris leprica is like the fossil front ye unearthed a wee while back with the old quarry. For some time, neither of us spoke. I sat staring vacantly into space, ruminating over what I had heard. Tom was seemingly as much taken up with filling and lighting his pipe as he had been before in giving a theological lecture. He could see that I was giving in, that all my supports were falling to pieces beneath me, and he resolved to complete his work. Can you not see that these things which have stood all the wear and tear of the ages must be of the very essence of the Church of Christ? And if this be so, why should you keep back from throwing in your lot with those who are in possession of them? I honour you, my lad, for respecting the teaching of those who had a claim on your loyalty, but the time has come when you must make a decision according to the dictates of your own conscience, and no one whose opinion is worth anything will do anything but respect you for doing so. Again, he relapsed into the Doric. There's aben a faithful remnant in old Scotland, the gentle persuasion, as ye nae do tert fox call them, and ye'll be nane the less of a true Scot when ye become ain o' the same company. You, who have all the life been a churchman and have received the most careful teaching in church matters, can have no idea of the struggle that one who has had none of these privileges has to undergo in breaking loose from all the traditions of his family and friends. However, I may tell you that I see my duty clear, and I mean at once to take my stand in defense of the old faith. I shall write to my father and mother and tell them of my purpose, after which I shall put myself in the hands of those who can prepare me for confirmation. Glad I am to hear you say this, Ellen. 
You will no doubt have many difficulties, but the blessing of the Maester will go with you, and you need have no fear. A few weeks after this, I received the sacred rite of the laying on of hands from a bishop of the old Scottish church. Many years have passed since then, but I have never ceased to hold in the highest esteem the simple homely teaching of the old bookseller, and I have never for a moment regretted crossing the Rubicon. End of chapter 5